Do you struggle with your nutrition? If so, you're in pretty good company. Most of us, myself included, struggle to eat in a way that really supports our goals. A good portion of that is our modern food environment. It can be tough to eat to a plan when you're constantly surrounded by new, tasty things. If you add a lot of stress to that and a good dose of misinformation, it's no wonder we struggle. This episode isn't going to fix the food environment or remove your stress, but it should give you some foundational information on which you can build your diet. The information in here isn't going to like fix SIBO or an autoimmune condition. If you have something like that, then you should see a doctor or registered dietitian. It also isn't going to give you that like final 1% improvement to achieve your Olympic trial, right? But very honestly, most of us don't need to be that strict with our diet. We just want to do well and hit our goals. And if that's you, this is your episode. The information in here will give you all you need to build a great foundational diet. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. Hi, everyone. We are live. So today, I'm going to talk about nutrition fundamentals, or the basics of nutrition, as much as we really can in a reasonable amount of time. There are a lot of new people in the group, and... The rest of us might just benefit from a refresher, especially as we go into holiday seasons and everything. So let's talk about food basics. Before we get into anything, if you're doing well, then keep doing what you're doing. If you're happy where you are, then just keep doing what you're doing. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a doctor. I'm a personal trainer, nutrition coach, running coach who knows like a lot about food. And I'm going to do my best to provide you with as much of a like unbiased, fairly comprehensive, basic approach as I can. It's 2022. Some of this information might be incorrect by the end of the year. We just don't actually know that much about nutrition, or at least as much as we might think we do, if we look on you know, the people on Instagram. At the end of the day, you are your own person. You get to choose whatever you want to do. And all of those choices will have consequences, but their choices all the same. Anybody, anytime like somebody says you have to or you're not allowed, they are a liar. And if you see some guy like walking shirtless through a grocery store talking about a, how a potato chip is going to kill you, he's definitely a liar. So if someone tells you a food is going to kill you, even though somebody has been thriving on it for thousands of years, also a liar. But we'll get into all of that later. Just a reminder, you're an adult. You always have a choice. Foods should not have like strict dogmas associated with them. So I have like five basic guidelines when it comes to food. And anytime you hear like do this one thing or eat this one thing or don't do this one thing, you'll hit all of your goals. It is a great sign that you're about to receive terrible advice. So here are my like five general rules. One is eat enough food to serve your goals. And that could be one of many things that we'll get into in a minute. Two, you would likely benefit from more protein, fiber, water, or all three. Three is eat whole, 
minimally processed food about 80 to 90% of the time. Four, don't eat stuff that makes you feel bad. Like this feels stupid to even say, but everybody has their own personal needs, right? Like my perfect diet is not your perfect diet. My perfect diet for me 10 years ago when I was trying to lose 50 pounds is not my perfect diet now as I'm about to get ready to run 50 miles, right? If something doesn't work for you, and if something doesn't work for you right now, don't eat it. Finally, break the rules occasionally, like once, twice a week, at least once a month. Okay, let's not get so dogmatic into our eating patterns that it makes us stressed and unhappy, right? Like food has multiple values. Some of them are nutrition. Some of them are like health support. Sometimes it just tastes good and that's okay. We're going into Thanksgiving and Christmas and a lot of us get very hung up about certain things with holiday eating. And typically it is not either of those like specific days that causes all the problems that we're considering. It is typically the like flywheel that starts on Halloween and then we just all often like go off the rails for two months, right? So break the rules occasionally, enjoy your food, and then we'll get back to whatever system works for you, right? First, to cover the like first part of eat enough to serve you goals, you have to know what you're trying to achieve when it comes to nutrition or, or health or whatever. And we can look at that from a triangle awareness. If you've been following me for a while, you have heard me talk about this. At one vertices of the triangle, there's performance. At one, the other vertices, you might have fat loss. And the third, you'd have longevity. For performance, this would be things like run really far, lift heavier, play in the NFL, right? And if you are targeting performance, you might gain some body fat. You might do some activities that are not necessarily the best for living to be 120. But you will you know, enjoy your performance and perform well. Like for running, I went into this knowing that I was going to lose some strength, especially in my like pushing muscles. My bench press and my shoulder press have gone down significantly. If you look at a photo of like an after of an NFL locker room or the NBA or hockey, these are some of the most highly paid athletes in the world. And you're going to see proportionally pretty few six packs if we're being really honest. There might be some ab definition. They're not typically, you know, 100 pounds of fat on them, but they're not stage lean for a bodybuilder, right? And if we look at the start line of a marathon, you're very rarely going to see those, like, Death Star shoulders, right, that bodybuilders go after. This is why Nick Bear was such a rare exception when he ran his sub-three marathon. He was a bodybuilder who then worked on his endurance. It was notable because he looked the way he does and per, like had the training that he had in the past. We can do all of these three things, and in fact, they will support each other, but we can't target them very well at the same time unless you are very new to training. Right? So we have to get our goals in order. Once we know what we're trying to achieve, then the next thing is eat enough to serve that goal. And this is where we're going to talk about calories. And I realize that the idea of calories definitely like initiates a bit of a like lizard brain reaction in many people. I'm actually one of them, but they are just a measurement of energy. Like a joule is a measurement measurement of energy or a watt is an energy or a measurement of power. We're 
pretty perfectly fine with those terms, unless you just hated science class really badly. But when we come, to, or unless, you know, you're a cyclist who has a very strange relationship with their FTP and wattage. But when it comes down to calories, they're just a measurement of energy. And in fact, like calories are the big C, the one that you see on the back of all of your food things. It's just like four joules and some change, right? So if you're bothered by the word calorie, then replace it with whatever you want it to be. Because regardless of what you call it, the most important thing when it comes to food and your goals is the amount. You have to eat enough. If we look at something like paleo, most people would agree it's a pretty high-quality diet, right? Like the foods tend to be fairly high in fiber, fairly high in protein, like a good amount of variety and whatever, right? But when we, that was originally paired with CrossFit and CrossFit is a highly glycolytic sport. It's very explosive, right? And it got paired with CrossFit because a man named Rod Wolf really liked both of these things. And it worked well in the sense that CrossFit was trying to make you kind of more of a functional human. And the paleo diet was kind of a health diet, right? But when we started having CrossFit being a sport, we ran into a lot of problems. If you don't know much about CrossFit, we have, there were exercises like grace where you do 30 clean and jerks for time. And this meant men were trying to do uh, 30 clean and jerks bar off the ground to your shoulder, push it over your head with a 135 pound bar in under three minutes. That's every six seconds you're doing a clean and jerk. We also have something like acid bath, where you're doing like 500 meters ski on the skier, 500 meters on the rower, 1,000 meters on the bike, right? All in six minutes. And this is a great way to torch yourself if you're not eating carbohydrates. And then if we look at the other end of paleo, uh, Rick Rubin, who, music producer, great man, um, but he was trying to lose a bunch of body fat forever ago. I think he was over 400 pounds or something like that, and he was trying to lose some weight. And he was taking more of this like paleo approach in the beginning. And he actually gained weight because there was no restriction on quantity. He was just eating things on the paleo list. And this included about a jar of almond butter a day, which if you eat 5,000 calories of almond butter a day, you're going to gain weight. So if we look at these things, amount matters. And you don't have to count calories, but they do, they do count right? So we need to eat an appropriate amount for our goal. And a lot of the time in our modern food environment should take some advice from a man named Lane Norton, who is like arguably the preeminent nutrition coach in the world. He has been making the rounds in some podcasts lately, and you might've seen him. He's talking, but, and in this, he's talking about fat loss, but it's pretty true for most people. At the end of the day, you will probably have to gain or engage in some form of restriction to hit your goals. Because our food environment is like literally designed in a laboratory for you to overeat things, specifically carbs and fats, and to not eat enough like protein or fiber. So if you have goals for fat loss or longevity or performance, basically if your goal is anything different from the standard like slowly lose muscle and gain some body fat as you eat more and move less and then get frustrated every few months, then we will have to engage in some form of restriction. And the type of restriction is whatever works well for you. Lane's very like noted as a macro counting coach, but 
he is very open about saying that it doesn't matter. Whatever you can do consistently that works for you is the thing you should do, right? And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. We can combine some of these things. For me, currently what's working for me is I will track my calories for a week or two every couple of months to see where I land and make some tweaks. I also don't allow a couple very specific foods, ice cream and brownies, to live in my house. If I want them, I need to bake them and get rid of them or buy the ice cream and then it's going to disappear because that's why it doesn't live in my house. A serving of ice cream is the container, right? So I also must, like, I try to eat protein and fiber every time I eat. And these things work well for me. For some people, it's keto. For some people, it's very strict macro tracking. For some, it's just food prioritization. Our environment is a mess. There are flavor scientists. If you haven't read any of the books by Michael Moss and you're interested in this topic, it's disturbing. Anyway, we have, we have to find a system that works for us that allows us to move through the modern world. If you are trying to eat enough of the right foods to support your goal and you've been struggling to make progress on that goal, you probably need to track what you eat at least for a little while. And when I'm working with someone on fat loss, we see a whole bunch of things. Adapted metabolisms from like years of dieting where your base metabolism is like 1,200 calories. That's going to be a struggle if you want to lose fat because you have nothing to cut from. We have to adapt your metabolism back upward in order for you to have any room for success, right? When I'm working with athletes, we typically just find that they're not eating enough enough protein, enough carbohydrate. Each person's a little different, but they're probably often not eating enough. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of them is our, like, again, food and dietary environment. Um, some of them is just that as you ramp up your activity towards an end goal, then you're going to struggle to, like, keep going. It's exactly like a lot of us set our food habits in college. When you're fairly active and you're walking a lot to your classes and you're doing a bunch of stuff and you might even be involved in intramural sports and then you grow up and you sit at a desk and you don't move all that much and you gain a good amount of weight and you lose a little bit of body fat or you lose some muscle mass pretty regularly and then you just end up 20 years down the line and you kind of are where you are right this is the general pattern of our modern world same but reverse for athletes you start running and you eat this amount, and then you add more running, but you're still eating this amount. And then you add more running, and you're still eating this amount. And we just never scale up proportionally, right? So this is kind of where we might end up with issues. So when it comes to food tracking, that does not necessarily mean you need to, like, use a calorie tracker. In fact, a lot of people don't, right? If you are, I recommend a chronometer or chronometer. It is a great tool that will also show you your like vitamin and mineral intake. And my fitness pal has just like gone down the drain over the years and now they charge for really silly things. So if you're going to do one, I would go with that one. But you could also take photos of your food or write in a journal or like target certain portions, right? Like you don't need to use strict measurements. Like measuring everything in grams is incredibly effective. If you want to get on a bodybuilder stage, you either probably have to do that or have someone do that for you. 
but it can be super tedious. It is super tedious. So instead, we can look at like hand size portions from Precision Nutrition uh, or the athlete's plate. And I'll put some of these links in um, the comments and show notes later, right? But you could also use an app like Carbon Diet Coach. It's Lane's app where they coach you towards eating for your goals. You could use an app like the Renaissance Periodization app. If I was going to choose one of the two, I'd choose the former. Doesn't matter, though. It, whatever your methodology is, if you've been struggling to make changes for a little while, you probably need to see where you are. Do some identification, set a baseline, and then we can go from there. We can see this like tracking running. Right? Like if you never track your running and just go out try to kill yourself a little bit, but like sustain for a while. This is how we all fall into zone, zone three, the dreaded gray zone of training when we first start out. And it's not that it's bad. The reason it has become called the gray zone or like <laughs> the heart rate zone of like no adaptation is because most of us do it so much when we first start that we have no like room to make progress on it anymore. It's also kind of intense, so the recovery is harder and you just tap yourself out. In fact, it's a really valuable training zone. It's probably where you're going to run a lot of, like, some chunks of your races. But when that's all we do, we destroy ourselves. We need to figure that out. Same with mileage. If you don't know how many miles you're running right now, we don't really know how much to add. There's the 10% rule, which is probably underplayed for a lot of people. A really good idea would be add a mile a day, and then when that becomes too much, we start to back off. So if you're not tracking your food, you're likely to do two things. Stay where you are or make a much more aggressive change than might otherwise be necessary, right? Like go keto and cut out all your carbs when you could just stop eating a half pound of candy every night, right? Like I know tracking fills some people with dread. Then don't do it. You're an adult. You don't have to do anything. But changing how you eat is difficult. So if you're trying to make these changes, then getting your baseline is a pretty good idea, right? And you should never hate the process. You might not fully like it. It might be one of these things that you're going to do for a little while to see where you are. But if you do the work, you'll start to see some changes, and that will feed on itself, right? The goal of tracking is not to create perfection, it is to create some level of awareness. Our diet is probably a work in progress for a very long time. It is not a thing that you like get it done and dusted and move forward just like you don't, you know, become a runner done. Like if you run for a couple years and become a decent runner and then don't run for five years, you're going to have to restart when you come back to running. So same with your diet. It's a thing that we constantly are like tweaking and keeping an eye on. Again, because we don't live in a very good food environment. Now, once we talk about the right amount of food, we're also going to look at food quality, which is a frustrating term because this kind of leads to the good food, bad food mentality, but it's still useful, right? Like we need to eat, you can't just eat Cheetos all day and expect to get where you're going to go, right? And I love Cheetos, but still, it's not going to take you there. So, we don't need to talk about quality all that much. I promise you, most of the time, you know what like a high-quality food is. There are individual differences. I already noted that. There are day-to-day -day differences. 
but most of the time, which is healthier? A like entire pizza from your favorite fast food chain or a home cooked piece of chicken with a side of rice and quinoa with some nice, like very colorful salad with a little bit of dressing. It is the latter. It is almost always the latter. We like to quibble over silly things like are eggs bad or is dairy going to be bad for you because it's frustrating to nail down what exactly is there, but rarely is that the issue. Like 99.999% of the time, it is the like semi-daily fast food beer and deficiency of vegetables and protein. And then there are also other exceptions. If you just finished an ultra, you might need a whole pizza or two, and then another one the next day. Remember, like, eat enough. And if you have some disordered eating patterns, then we need to work, you, need, you should work on those, right? Like if you've spent years fighting shame and guilt from pizza and donuts and you've done the work to overcome that, then like nothing is more important to me than that. And as someone who kind of struggles with some more orthorexia things and prescriptive eating things from all of the stuff I've read over the years, like occasionally some what we might call junk food in like heavy quotes is actually good for your psyche. And that is going to be your priority, right? Again, we need to eat enough. But if we're looking for general basics on quality, you probably know what that means. And I understand why there's confusion. If we just took two of the nutrition books that I have read and have been like multi-bestsellers, if you removed all of the things that both of those books labeled as unhealthy, the only thing left that you could consume would be water. So it's frustrating. And then one of the most popular nutrition personalities on the internet right now is a guy who's like clearly on steroids, claiming that the only way to reach true health is to eat like raw organ meats, drag a sled around a park, and then like sun your genitals. This is not, we're not in a good place. <laughs> like I'm in for the sled dragging. The other two are insane. Most people are like, confused for good reason, and many of the people in the nutrition sphere are liars. And the more full of crap they often are, the more certain they can sound. And this is just the Dunning-Kruger effect. If you add some charisma in there, they'll sell you whatever you want to buy. It doesn't mean that eating raw organs is the way. It doesn't mean that potatoes are part of like an underground tuber cabal trying to kill all humans, and it doesn't mean that animal protein is going to kill you, right? If you want to follow those things, great. We just shouldn't lie to other people about it. And we know what quality is, I promise. So we're going to talk about macros instead, because it's more useful. If we look at macros, there are four. And first one of like biggest importance for kind of everybody, but definitely athletes, is protein. We need about a gram per pound of lean body weight of protein. I weigh about 180 pounds, give or take five, depending on the day. Some of that is definitely body fat. I target about 150 grams of protein a day. That's two to four good size portions. Um, if it's two, it's probably not enough separation. So I really try to eat three good size portions of protein a day. If you start your day with a serving of protein, you will often do better. Um, 
And this can be like a plant protein powder. It can be whey. It can be whatever. All of those things will spike your insulin a little bit. So you might feel a little bit of an energy crash afterwards, but it should be fairly short-lived. We also have tofu and animal proteins. And wherever you're getting protein to help you support muscle growth, that's what we're looking for. You don't need to go the like 1970s bodybuilder style where they ate three times the amount that I'm talking about. Probably not great for you. Um, but it's hard to overeat protein. One, it's really satiating. Two, they see very little like fat increase from overconsuming protein. And the more time goes by, the less evidence we see of kidney damage unless you already have kidney damage. Now, the only time we see that is if you tend to already have kidney damage and you're eating like three grams per pound of body weight per day, right? So if you get this one gram per pound and you're in good health, you're probably fine. Again, not a doctor. Now, fat. Fat is our next macronutrient. And you need some. You probably need a good amount, but not like you're going to struggle not to hit it unless you were intentionally following like a 1980s low fat style diet you will very very likely hit your minimum amount of fat like we need 20 to 25% of our overall calories to come from fat and that's just not that much at the end of the day it's an amount that if you try to actively restrict it you're going to struggle but beyond that you'll be fine a lot of animal fat doesn't tend to be good for you. It just doesn't. I know there's a debate about this, but there shouldn't be. For some people, it's fine. And this is why there's a debate about this. For others, like myself, we're what would be called like hyper responders. And it skyrockets our blood lipid levels to concerning amounts to like give ourselves cardiovascular disease, right? If you end up with a high lipid panel especially LDL and triglycerides, but really all of it, then that is a risk for heart disease. It has been proven forever. Again, some people are hyper-responders where they'll eat. Dairy seems to be a big trigger for a lot of people. We're not quite sure why. But if you have a bunch of fat, a bunch of animal fat, saturated fat, then you increase your risks of heart disease. That does not mean that animal proteins are bad. It means that we should choose leaner forms of them, right? So like fish and not the ribeye, but more often the sirloin, that kind of stuff. And if we, some people are fine though. They'll eat like ribeyes every day and their lip lipids don't go anywhere. So some people can also, you know, smoke and drink until they're, and live to be 95. We can't fight good genes. So you have to know kind of where you stand on these things. If you are looking for generalized healthy fats, that's almost always going to be monounsaturated fats. Like you'll find in avocados and olive oils and macadamia nuts, definitely omega-3s, like in most fish and some nuts. Omega-6s, there's a whole debate about this right now. You might hear it as like seed oils are going to kill you. And most of it is probably nonsense. There is a very long document I'm happy to link um, that covers that. You're probably not going to read it, but I'll link it if you're interested. And once a lot of the, I think most of this comes from this further, like pushing an agenda, right? Once a lot of the keto people realized they couldn't perform well without carbs, they had to find something else to demonize. So seed oils, and you probably still shouldn't eat your weight. 
in omega-6 seed oils. We should have a decent ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, but it's probably not as bad as they might be <laughs> displayed on the internet right now. There's a lot of omega-6 oils in very highly processed food, and as we said, very highly processed food usually leads to problems. So that is probably where a lot of that connection comes from. Cool. That's fat. You need a good amount of it. Carbohydrates. Great. Uh, they are not necessary. You will not die without them, but they're helpful and tasty. So they provide energy. Um, they specifically provide energy for explosive work. If you don't move a lot, you should eat fewer of them. Um, and one thing that seems to show very well is it's not so much your direct intake of carbohydrate, it is your carbohydrate intake in relation to your activity and in relation to your, your fiber. And if we're looking at fiber, most people should get a minimum of about 10 grams for every thousand calories you eat. 15 would be probably better. More than that might cause some issues. And if you go zero to a thousand on fiber, you're definitely going to get issues. Everybody is going to have an upper limit of what you can do, and that can adapt over time. Your stomach will learn to break it, break it down a little better and get it through your intestinal tract. We're still learning a lot about fiber because a lot of it is related to uh, the microbiome. And we just don't know much about it. Um, fiber, like, it tends to be very healthy. People that eat more tend to live longer. There's multiple types. There's two very popular types, soluble and insoluble. Soluble comes from, like, whole grains, Insoluble comes from like kale, right? Like that plants like that. But technically each plant has its own division and matrix. So every plant is kind of its own little subspecies. I heard on a very reliable podcast that there might be like 15. Basically, don't worry about it too much. Try and eat more fibrous foods. You're probably not getting enough because most of us aren't. Especially as athletes, we like try, if we're trying anything, we're trying to intake enough of these calories to keep our activity moving. And sometimes, because things like broccoli and spinach and that are very filling, but not very calorie dense, a lot of the plants fall off. So just try to eat more fiber and we'll see how it goes. Forever, we thought that humans didn't digest fiber. We're starting to learn that's not true. So it's in this weird space, but it has been connected to better health for decades and the more data that comes out just the more that seems to be reinforced now the other carb that like subset of carbs that we talk about might be sugar it's not stellar it's also not the demon that we make it out to be lane norton who i mentioned earlier put out a very like comprehensive take on why sugar is not the cause of the obesity epidemic and as an athlete you're probably going to need a good amount of it anyway when we look at high-performing athletes, they intake a lot of carbohydrates. And that is because they're moving a lot. It is fuel, right? It is also a recovery thing. It's not just glycogen. It's not just fuel. It also regulates your cortisol. So if you're moving a lot and doing a lot of stressful work, then we need something to bring that down. And carbohydrates are like manna from heaven, right? It's going to be great. I'll link the paper from Lane. It's also long. And then finally, four is going to be alcohol. Alcohol is our fourth macronutrient. It's not healthy for you. Uh, have some if you wish. I do, um, but not. it's just not healthy. There is no way it helps your performance or health or longevity or anything. It is poison that your body needs to get out of its system, and we can have a manageable intake of it, but it's not 
It's not a positive, right? Cool. So that is our four macros. Then we look at micronutrients. This would be like vitamins and minerals. And you'll just get this by eating more variety, more colors, more whatever of whole foods. And if we really need to supplement, you can, but I try to limit the pill intake as much as humanly possible, right? So if you are, if you know you're deficient in something, that's great. If you're an anemic, if you're anemic, an iron supplement could change your life. If you struggle to synthesize vitamin D or you live in a like winter climate like I do, some vitamin D could make you a lot better. But for the most part, every supplement is going to make like less than 1% of a difference in your overall anything. Even creatine, the most studied supplement ever with the most positive results that have ever been found, makes less than 1% of a difference. So if you are deficient in something, great. Uh, if you are not deficient in something, you probably don't want to supplement willy-nilly, because something like iron, you can overdo, <laughs> and we just need to make sure that we're taking what we actually need, right? And you will see all sorts of stuff about vitamins and minerals and whatever. I just got an email from some nutrition person, I'm not going to name him, about children's vitamins, right? And like, just let's try and eat more whole foods. And he was tirading about how there's like up to two teaspoons of sugar in children's vitamins. And there's just not, not that much sugar in children's vitamins. It's also a child. So if your kid needs a vitamin, feed him a Flintstones vitamin. There's two grams of sugar and it's fine. But more likely, eat a salad. Now let's move to some of the other weird things. We've got, we've so far touched on calories and macros and quality and micronutrients. There's also notably outliers. So carnivore is making its way up right now. It is not a good diet for almost everybody. And clearly almost like it can be a great starter for like autoimmune recovery. And depending how many autoimmune issues you have, you might never expand that horizon very much. There are a couple of people who went carnivore and then slowly tried to add things in and got destroyed again and took it back and went, and then just like, that's what they eat. They eat meat. But for most, most, and like almost everybody, their benefits you'll see on something like a carnivore diet is just because it is a low FODMAP diet. It's just not as like attractive and nobody wants to deal with that labeling and it's kind of frustrating. But if you reduce everything into more of the low FODMAP territory and then test a few things and slowly add them back in, you will likely have a much more expansive diet than just ground beef, right? So carnivore, not stellar. A couple exceptions on the planet, most people not great. Keto can be helpful for certain brain problems. It was designed in the 1920s as a diet to help with epilepsy. There are some new studies indicating that it might be helpful for mental health, but it is not great for athletes. And we can use it during like a maffetone style building period. Bob Sibahar created this like nutritional periodization protocol forever ago that can be used fairly well. But if you're trying to do speed work on a keto diet, you're going to struggle. And it's just not a great idea for most people. And it's not necessary for most people. 
Then we look at vegan, right? Like I'm not talking about vegans who eat nothing but spaghetti and impossible burgers. Like that's just not a healthy way to go. Just like the omnivore who eats nothing but Big Macs all day is also not a great way to go. But I mean like more whole food vegans, those who eat a diet more similar to that of like Chinese Buddhist monks, right? There's a good amount of healthy carbs. There's lots of plants. There's lots of fermented foods. They have a good amount of protein from things like tofu and tempeh. Um, this diet served like even, geez, the Shaolin monks, right? And like, I went to a few Shaolin temples in my 20s, and they're better athletes than everybody listening to this. You can do a vegan diet correctly, but most don't, right? There's a huge increase in fiber. You get a lot of plant variety. You get a lot of good grains. You often get very healthy fats. But if you struggle with things like protein intake or anemia or B12, and you might you might not go that option or be ready to supplement, right? If most of the time, if a diet works for you, and let's define works as it helps you like approach your goal of living a better life for at least like a year or two, right? There are, like if we're, if we're talk, saying a diet worked and as soon as you got off it, you immediately reverted to something you didn't like, that diet didn't work just didn't. If we have a sustainable diet, then there are two things, two consistent truths. One, it's sustainable for you for run one reason or another, right? Like I originally lost a bunch of weight on the warrior diet, which is a very strict, like one meal a day protocol. It served me well as someone trying to lose body fat as a 20, busy 21 year old, right? It was, and then the other thing is it was better than what you were doing before in some ways, but probably not always, but some ways. It, like, again, the warrior diet it had a lot of problems. It led to more down the line, but it allowed me to get in touch with my hunger signals and realize, like, when I was just eating because I was bored, and it allowed me to get a little healthier as, at that point in my life. It also ultimately led to, like, injuries and problems, but we'll get to that in a second. So if we look at like an extreme example of this shift, someone who eats fast food like three times a day, shifting to raw vegan, you will be getting more plants, you'll be getting less processed food, you'll be getting more fiber and micronutrients and like vitamins and minerals, you will probably be eating fewer calories, which leads to better health most of the time, unless again, athlete. You might be getting less protein, but maybe not, depending on like what you're intaking. And you're probably insufficient in a few vitamins and minerals, and again, probably protein, but initially, you're likely going to feel better. Eventually, you might experience some brain fog or muscle wasting due to a lack of vitamin uh, B12 and uh, choline and um, a lack of protein. But initially, if you're going from nothing but fast food to raw vegan, you're probably going to feel great. And some people who don't need as much protein can last that for a long time. I mean, we look at Rich Roll, he crushes a vegan diet. It's not raw, but it's he's a very high-level athlete who has done a vegan diet for a very long time. Pretty sure Scott Jurek is vegan. There are people who don't need as much protein and synthesize better, right? So you need to find what works for you. Again, there are outliers, but there is no magic diet. Like, a lot of people seem to currently think that keto is magic. <laughs> to this day, like, I have this conversation at least once a week. And this is true for so many things, right? Like, we've known about the keto diet since the 1920s, but it's not, it's not new, and yet it's taken this resurgence. 
I expect we're going to be seeing something, you know, low fat again eventually. But there's re- always going to be ridiculous people pushing whatever they're trying to push. And this would be the carnivore diet, trying to quote the Hadza tribe and talking about like a primal way of living. And the Hadza tribe eats a lot of fibrous plants, man. Like, yes, they like meat. They eat a lot of meat. They also eat a lot of fiber. So if we're going to look at primal living as your, your standard, then we probably need to eat them too. You probably need to eat plants too, even if you don't like them. And you've seen people like her. We've seen people like Paul Saladino. Um, he is the carnivore MD and he eats a lot of plants now. Like he eats a lot of fruit and a lot of honey because he wasn't performing as well as he wanted to. Cool. Intermittent fasting. There's no real magic here either. It's a great way for calorie control. It worked very well for me. I still probably technically do some version of it by whatever standard they're including these days, but it's not magic. There has been shown to be a very slight improvement on fat loss and health if you're doing an early window. So if your feeding window is like 8 to 4 or like 6 to 6, then we'll see a mild improvement, but not by much. And most of that is probably due to the fact that there is a huge gap between your final meal and sleep. Because when you're digesting, you're not resting. So digestion messes with your sleep. So if we put this big gap between your final meal and your sleep, then you're likely going to see some some improvements on many metrics because you'll sleep better. Otherwise, like all of the health benefits come from intermittent fasting just seem to be from caloric restriction. And we're still not talking like a one meal a day diet. An eight to 12 feeding window like slightly improves health measures, but again, not a lot. And it can be (laughs) undone quickly. If you end up binging even like one time per week as a result of this restricted eating cycle, and you're probably canceling out any benefits you're getting by doing it, right? So we need to realize that it's not magic. If there were a magic diet, it would be boring. It'd be one that avoids highly processed food like 80 to 90% of the time, and you cook a bunch of it, <laughs> and you support your activity and like recover well. We're often looking for quick fixes. This also applies to like compounds, right? Like there was this whole resveratrol and wine thing. This has been debunked outright resveratrol is no longer a longevity substance but even when they thought it mattered you would have had to drink enough red wine to like give yourself liver cirrhosis to get enough resveratrol for it to matter we see this in this is a silly example considering where we are in the year but tryptophan in turkey there is not enough tryptophan in turkey to do anything in regards to sleep you get sleepy after a Thanksgiving meal because you ate 3,500 calories in 30 minutes, right? That's enough to put you in a food coma. It has nothing to do with tryptophan. There just aren't these quick fixes. And to dive a little deeper into like where I've struggled, that warrior diet, the one meal a day protocol, for one, it was backwards. You're supposed to eat dinner. You can drink coffee all day long, and then you eat a big meal at dinner. You eat... Uh, plants first, and then protein, and then carbohydrates last if you're still hungry, right? And this allowed me to lose 50 pounds. I could eat almost whatever I wanted to some degree. It worked great, but not really, because it fostered under-eating. It led to a lot of injuries while I was training heavily. It reinforced an inherent binging tendency that I still struggle with to this day, Um, and that's after a lot of work. And it just 
isn't great. It was, it felt like a quick fix. It felt like magic. I did it far longer than it served me. And it just wasn't, it wasn't all it cracked up to be, right? And we'll often see this everywhere. I mean, even in gastric bypass, it, it can be great if you need it. It is save people's lives who are hundreds of pounds uh, of like visceral fat on them. But it doesn't actually curb your ability to intake certain calories. If you drink a ton of soda per day, your gastric bypass does nothing. So if you get a gastric bypass and still drink soda and beer and bulletproof coffee all day long, then you're going to gain a lot of that weight back. And it happens all the time. Everything has a trade-off. Counting calories can be tedious and can lead to like some obsession. Keto, you're going to end up with lower performance and potentially diarrhea, depending how much fat you're ingesting. Higher carb will potentially lead to like higher inflammation markers and some bloating. If you're vegan, you might struggle with protein, B12, and choline. If you're carnivore, you'll very likely have many problems, but including elevated lipid levels. Like there's just isn't this like one word quick fix to a diet. If you struggle with food, and some of that has to do with the fact that we live in this like atrocity of a modern food environment, then you need to learn to eat the way you want to eat for your lifestyle, and it's just going to take some work. Again, the five things about food, we need to eat enough to serve your goals. You would likely benefit from more protein, fiber, or both, um, and more water. You would, number three, eat like 80 to 90% whole, minimally processed food. Four, don't eat stuff that makes you feel bad. And five, break the rules occasionally so that we don't end up in this like mental space. And this is the final thing I'm going to say, and I'll be done. If you have, if you've stuck around this long and you have a question, please pop it in the comments. But you never have to change how you eat. Again, you're an adult. If you're struggling and you're just like, why can't I do this? It's because it's hard. And the pain you're experiencing with food just isn't great enough to spur the change. And maybe you're like more afraid of the change than you are sick of the struggle. I was there for years. Or maybe you're happy and comfortable and you don't have to change anything. I talk to a lot of people who are just fine and that's okay. And But if you don't like where you are and you're miserable and you want to change, you genuinely want to change, then you have to do something and... My biggest, my best advice for you for that is just make like one, start with one thing and make it small. The three things that I like, I always recommend one of three things for people, not all three, but it's almost always one of these three. One, eat a good serving of protein at least three times per day. That is often the first step for a lot of people. If we're doing that fairly well, Eat one to two servings of fruit and vegetables at every meal. And then three is drink more water. Those are almost always the first step <laughs> I have for people. And it's insane that at least probably 95% fall into one of those three. When it comes to a lot of athletes, my first recommendation is like often eat more, but we just need to eat more of the right stuff, right? Like if we look at, and we see this in running too, like the, the first step's always going to be simple. When it comes to running, the first recommendation is always going to be try to run more often. Not necessarily more, but more often. And like almost everybody would do 
better with 15 minutes, five to six per day, days per week than they would with three like hour long sessions, at least when they're first starting out. And if you're already running often, then we might add some strides in. But once those are there, then we can look at like increasing those sessions and other stuff. But we need to start small, start simple. All of this stuff succeeds by making it a habit. We need to make it realistic. If you get 1% better every day with compounding like effects, you end up 2,000% better by the end of the year. This is a real thing. I just like plugged on a calculator to double check my math. If you put a dollar into an account uh, and you get a 1% compounding interest every day, you end up with $24 by the end of the year. And if we just get a little better on our current self every day, you're going to be incredible a year later. And imagine 10 or two decades, right? If you miss a day, fine, take it off. Do it the next day. But little improvements every day make it a habit. And if you would like help with any of that, that's what I'm here for. You're welcome to text me. My number is 505-702-6192. And it is everywhere that I am. But again, 505-702-6192. Or just shoot me a message. That's all I have for tonight. I'm going to go eat some dinner. I hope you have... A good rest of your night. The podcast version of this will be up on Thursday, as it always is. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, Please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.